So we're going to get started this morning. We're in James. We're going to cover one verse this morning. Woohoo! We are lighting it up. Here we go. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you. Uh, as we come through James, uh, stuff is just unfolding itself. And it's, it's great to just slow down and chew on it and think it in bits. And, and we have been around long enough, Lord, many of us, that we can see all the interconnecting pieces. And you, you can take that and run uh, with scriptures and what you, the stories. We all have a history with you and have a history of you speaking. And so all of that kind of comes together and you're kind of the conductor of that whole orchestra. And we'd ask for your favor this morning to just feel free among us. We ask for your manifest presence. And we pray that as we go through this, uh, it will encourage us to stay true to you. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right, we're in James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open up there. I'd also like to say something this morning. If you're a note taker, and I know many of you are, thank you for doing that. But if you try to take notes this morning, you're going to get be really frustrated. All right? So it's more of a flow and a stream of stuff. So what I'd encourage you is to try and find the one or two points that really stick out and jot that down, right? You can also download the messages, go on our website. You can re-listen to the message uh, again during the week. But uh, there's just going to be a lot of scripture this morning that ties the ideas together. So if you try to write that all out, you're going to wear your hand out really quick. All right. So let's start. We are in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we saw earlier when we started James, James said, uh, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness or perseverance. And now James is saying, okay, once you go through all that, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. So James, again, he's using, notice the language of the Beatitudes, the blessed there, pick that up from his brother, and culminates the thought of trials by wrapping all the trials. See here, little t, right? Little trials come along like this and wrap him together unto the big T, the trial. And so he's saying, blessed is the man who has remained steadfast under trial. Right? So if you take all the little T's and put them together, they culminate in a big picture T of the trial that we have to go through uh, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the really important idea. We must stand the test. Let's make this personal and practical right now if i were to ask you this morning what test or tests are you facing in your personal life right you look all really cool calm collected and together this morning but i know life and i know how it works and i know what can be daunting for us what test or tests are you facing this morning right now what looks daunting to you what well, looks hard, like, am I going to make it kind of thing, right? If you're a teacher, it's probably because it's February, <laughs> right? Can we make it to June? You know, the readers in James' day were, were facing persecution and dislocation and death. And James is exhorting those readers, and, and thus us as well, that we must see the trials and temptations that come our way through the lens of faith, that God can... And we'll use all things to help us become like him. 
Now again, we fully affirm that not all things that happen to us are good. Let me emphatically uh, state that they are not. Um, there, are, there is real wickedness and evil in the world, and it often crosses our path. And if you've ever had that happen, it, it's a tra- painful trial. Our sin and other sin can be awfully entangling in both its nature and duration. It becomes hard because these tests often last way longer than we want them to. I'm fine if the test lasts five minutes. I don't know about you. It's when it goes past a half hour, I'm like, okay, how, 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 long, how long is this going to last, right? Kind of thing. The grief and sorrow when we go through that are real and not to be trifled with. But we also fully affirm that God can and will bring good out of them. That a fully sovereign God knows those who love Him and will work all things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 As we mentioned last week, He walks with us in our sufferings and we will never know the timing of them most of the time. You can't always see them coming, um, either in occurrence or duration. And that means we must see the thing all the way through. In other words, when one of these happen to you, you have to set your, your focus on Christ and say, all right, this now has picked me. I have to walk it all the way through. I must finish. We can't go halfway or three-quarter of the way or even 90% of the way. We must see this faith thing through to the end. And some of the strongest admonitions in Scripture are tied to persevering under trial. And what got me stuck this week is I wanted to do four verses and I started looking up all the verses that talk about this, and it's, the theme is overwhelming. You could spend a couple of weeks on this. Let's just take a quick look. When Jesus was talking about the end times here in Matthew 24, he says this, and then many will fall away. He's talking about the disciples asked him what the end times would look like. And he said, they're going to be awful times. And he said, and many are going to fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Notice Jesus points out, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We are called to be faithful in the midst of the trial. We, are, we are, are, are called to be steadfast, uh, as James would uh, point out for us. Jesus says that love will grow cold and, and people's faith are going to fail. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So this is both encouraging and daunting at the same time. Right? And uh, if, you've, if you've spent any time thinking about it, you could do it. And Jesus in his Gospel of Luke actually asked the question, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will, will he actually find people still standing in the gap, still being steadfast? Going back a few verses, remember James, uh, as I mentioned, told us to count it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith develops steadfastness. So when the Son of Man comes back, when Jesus returns, and he surely will, And he looks for faith. If he finds it, it will be because those who are still standing in faith will be standing in the midst of severe trials and sufferings and they will be exercising steadfastness or perseverance. 
they, hopefully we, will have counted the cost and not counted our lives dear unto themselves, expressing with all the saints who have gone before us, we would affirm what Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And thus Peter coaches us, like James, on this topic on trials. Uh, in First Peter, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Both James and Peter understood the need to stand in the midst of fiery trials. Uh, both James and Peter would die in Rome. Uh, Peter, uh, legend has it, upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be die the way his Savior had. So they asked if he could be crucified upside down. So Peter echoes this um, in First Peter a little farther down in chapter 4. says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. And doesn't that feel like that when trials come sometimes? Like somebody just lit you up? Like somebody, are you ever going along and it's just like somebody dumped gas on the thing, right? Right? It's, I, I like that description of fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. So both James and Peter are articulating something that was understood in the early church and, and th it was this. If Christ had died for them, they would be privileged to die for him. You, you pick that up and I'm reading through the early church fathers right now. Justin Martyr and Arrhenius and uh, Polycarp and uh, some of the beginning guys who started the whole thing. And uh, you find that they understood very quickly that if they stood for Jesus, it probably cost them their life. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, uh, in an extended argument, but we'll just pull a little slice of it right here, says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Read in there, even if it costs you your life. Hebrews also goes on to say this, though. In Hebrews 6, it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This sluggishness comment I think is telling because it puts another slant on this whole thing. What if you don't have to die for your faith, but you actually have to live for it? Right? Have you ever been like, how long is this going to go? I mean, seriously, have you ever been just like, I'm not sure I can make it. I'm tired and I'm only 40. How am I going to make it to 80? Right? I mean, you ever been there? No, none of you. You're all peppy and energetic. Awesome. The scripture teaches us we must become resilient. And resilient means the ability to bounce back. Okay? 
Um, read in here, you could also read steadfast, persevering, endurance, having fortitude. We've used all those words. But it's the ability to bounce back when trials come our way. It's the ability to pick yourself up and um, get back on your feet. Um, last uh, Sunday, we had our annual meeting. It was a lot of fun. We've really had a great time. And um, Walt was up front talking about how they taught resiliency in the military and how true that was or how uh, important that was for a church as well and how we had been very resilient as a church over the last year. And I thought he spoke a really good word to that. And so, uh, you know, what does resilient mean? Well, if you look it up, resilient means the ability to spring back, returning to the original form or position after having been bent, compressed, or stretched. The ability to rebound. Anybody in here been bent, compressed, or stretched? Right? Like, are you kidding me? Seriously? Right? And... um, Sometimes as you get older and you get compressed or bent, you don't get back up so quick, right? So it's hard. Proverbs says this, Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home, for the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And if you go through the Old Testament, there's this theme of the righteous can get knocked down, the righteous can get hammered, but they get back up. And why they get back up is not because they're tougher, not because they're smarter, not because they're more brilliant, not because they're made of different DNA than other people, but it comes from the Holy Spirit who gives them the power to get back up and on their feet and keep moving in the direction that God has asked them to go. I've been reading uh, Ron Chernoff's book on Ulysses S. Grant. I don't know if you've seen that out in the bookstores, and I got that for my birthday, and uh, it's been a tremendous read. And he was a Civil War hero, and he would go on to become our 18th president. And, um, and his life showed amazing resiliency. Uh, between a sex, successful military beginning and his stretches as the general of the Civil War and then president of the United States uh, was a, a stretch of abject setbacks, um, terrible reversals, unbelievable, unfortunate circumstances that uh, he encountered. At one point, his situation was so dire that he was selling firewood in in the streets in the city of St. Louis. And a friend of his, um, if it hadn't been for this friend, this friend bought his firewood from him. He didn't really need the firewood, but he knew it was Ulysses and it was his friend, so he bought the firewood because he knew that was the only thing they had the way to survive. If his friend hadn't done that, um, his family might not have survived. I mean, we're talking really destitute here. If you would have asked him at that moment, right? If you could have captured his life right at that moment where he's on the street, he doesn't. He's, his firewood's not selling. He has no money in his pocket. He doesn't know how he's going to feed his family. If you were to ask him, what do you think the odds are of you becoming one of the most renowned generals in the history of the world? I doubt that he would have been able to see it at that point. Or if you took it a step further, and even wilder, Mr. Grant, what do you think is the possibility that you, in the near future, will become President of the United States? 
he would have looked at you like you're crazy, right? Matter of fact, if you read, uh, he didn't want to be president, right? So it wasn't even something that he had as a plan for his life. How different would the history of the United States be if he had given up and quit? And those of you, if you know the history, it's a, he's an incredible person. How different is the history then, we must ask, of the kingdom? Because what you realize when you read these things is history pivots on some amazingly small fulcrum points, right? We can ask ourselves the question, how different will eternity be if we give up and quit? And so the whole thrust of this morning is, regardless of what you're facing or regardless of what you might face in the years to come, don't quit. Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. It does, doesn't it? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was persevering in the course he had to run, and he didn't quit. Therefore, we are to be persevering and run the course that we're to run. Now, we have a problem with that, in that we're usually good at it for a bit or a while, and then we stop, then we try to pick it up again, and we've lost what we gain, and then we start again, and we we have this herky-jerky um, response to life. I have an elliptical in our garage that I just started getting back on again. And uh, funny thing, I used to do an hour at a shot would burst, right? First time on, I could barely do 28 minutes. Sucking gas, man, I was sweating like a pig. It was awful. You would not have been impressed with your pastor at that moment, okay? Now, I've worked my way back to 50 minutes, but my pace is still slow, right? My burst isn't exactly bursting. Uh, I'm not, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Something to do with 62, I think. But my, just like that elliptical, trials and sufferings are meant to increase our faith and our spiritual strength. And here we're not talking about developing muscle, but rather spiritual character and strength. The ability to see it coming, know what it's for, be able to be steadfast and say, you know what? I've seen the Lord take me through all these. He'll take me through this one too. And we know and count on his history with us to say, I've been through that. We can face this one too. How do you develop spiritual character and strength? Well, by being obedient is how it works. One of us, uh, one of my friends wrote me back this week to balance out the perspective of wisdom by hindsight and said this and i think it's an excellent take said god's wisdom is doing what is right because it's the right thing to do we forgive because we've been forgiven we overlook an offense because god overlooks our offenses we give grace because we've been given grace we show mercy because we've been shown mercy and we are long-suffering because god is long-suffering with us we are kind because god has been kind to us We pray blessings, not curses on others, because Christ plays blessings on us. So what if you do good to those who are good to you? Even the pagans do that. And many more commands and instructions like this come from God. They go on to say, Wisdom is the God-given ability to receive from Him what to do, 
what we cannot do ourselves for ourselves or in ourselves or through ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the power by which all wisdom comes, choosing to do what God has instructed us to do, not based on how we feel or even the measuring of outward results in others. This brings about transformation in us. And they go on to quote Ephesians, uh, which is an incredible passage. I won't read the whole thing here, but they say, this is God's wisdom at work and can never be copied, though man may try. Man's wisdom will never compare to the saying, your will be done, God, not mine. Well, I just thought that was powerful. That's really well written. And I might add, they say, personally, I've had to tell my flesh what I want at any given circumstances, just suffer, because I'm going to do what God says will please him. I thought that was a great take, too. And again, he says in Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's wisdom is work being done within us. And again, that's a very key point. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. God works from the inside out. We like to work from the outside in. And we'll tell him how far he can come. And he goes, no, nice try. We're going to start from the inside. Let's, let's clean this up. When we do God's will, we will see his works and we are all encouraged to continue to grow in God's wisdom, which is doing the will of God no matter what. Okay, that's one of us that wrote that this week. I think it's very well stated. Obedience and trust grow and are strengthened and give us fortitude for the trials ahead. And the point I was trying to make with the elliptical is that you can't just do it all at once, right? It has to be a practice. It's called the Christian walk for a reason, right? It's not the Christian moment. It's the Christian walk or the Christian life because it's a process that we're all going through together. Thinking about this uh, just, and, and just looking across the board culturally, I noticed something else that I thought, is significant for us to give some consideration to. And that was, it's a lot easier to go from hard to easy than from easy to hard. Right? If you've had it hard and you, you're used to trials and you're used to suffering and you're, okay, and then it starts getting better, well, that's, that's, that's piece of cake, right? But if you've had it really, really good and then it starts to get hard and it buckles and it drops to another level and pretty soon you start going, how many levels are there, right? I don't like this. This hurts. And the answer to that is yes. Um, you know, the great generation, the World War II generation, uh, they had it hard from the start. If you think about it, they were born right before during World War I. They got to go through the Great Depression and they went straight into World War II. And you ask, why were they such a great generation? Well, there was a reason they had such great strength and power and endurance. They were able to overcome incredibly difficult obstacles. Why? It had always been hard for them. This was just more of the same. It wasn't any different. They didn't expect any more. And this was how it was going to be. I remember my dad telling me the story of working in the potato field for 18 hours and making 25 cents. Think about that once. That's amazing uh, fortitude that gen- that generation has. They, and if you think about it also, they never really let go of their disciplines or their resiliency, even in good times. Right? How many of you had parents that saved stuff? 
right? They, uh, the saying was they had to save it for a rainy day. And uh, you never know when you might need it. Any of you heard those sayings in your life, right? Anybody got a garage with shelves full of bent nails and screws that they're saving for it, right? Right? That generation is famous for that. What were they saying? Well, they were saying the same thing James is telling us. He says, you never know when scarcity, or as we've been saying, trials might come upon us. So be prepared. On the other hand, the people that James is writing to, they had it pretty good for a while. They were in Jerusalem. I mean, they had a a pretty good life. And then all of a sudden it got really tough. And it got really hard. And James is writing uh, to those those people saying, um, you have to be steadfast. Why? Because they were having a hard time. This was not what they bargained for when they bought into Jesus. This was a completely different reality and level. They were like, suffering? Ah, do I really have to do this? And James saying, yes, you do. Okay? I mean, and I believe it'd be hard for us as well. We've had it really good in this country. I mean, can you imagine being thrown in a jail cell and them not letting you use your cell phone? Oh, the travesty. We would be yelling and screaming bloody murder. Our stuff gets taken us. We squeal like stuck pigs. Right? That would only be the beginning. And so God's trying to warn us to be built up for that. We are warned and encouraged to build up our spiritual strength. As I said, our steadfastness, our fortitude, our perseverance through the little trials, the day in, day out things that we learn faithfulness and obedience through. So that when the tough times come, the the big T, the big trial, we will remain steadfast and persevere. Like I found out on the elliptical, it's really hard to go from zero to everything. Right? And it's true in faith as well. Jeremiah says it this way, if you've raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, in other words, if you you have a hard time just running with people, how in the world are you going to compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, that's sarcasm in case you haven't gotten that from God's point of view because they're not very trusting. But if in a safe land you're so trusting, what are you going to do in the thicket of the Jordan? In case you don't understand the point being made, the thickets of the Jordan, that's where the lions live. Okay? You don't, the thickets of the Jordan, you can't walk through it. It's needles and stickers and lions and snakes and that kind of stuff. What are you going to do when it gets really tough? The obvious implication is that you can't do this stuff when it's easy. How are you going to do it when it's hard? So let's bring this all together. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward and and serve us communion. So if you would begin to do that. And as they head around, let's just keep going here. We're going to walk through some more of this picture. I'm going to enter into communion. So James says this, having said all that, He says, blessed is the man, the person, the one who remains steadfast under trial. We are called to be faithful to Jesus no matter what trials come our way or what trials we are to face. We are to be faithful. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or faithful under trial. Thank you. Faithful under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love Him. What's this uh, crown of life? Have you ever looked into that phrase and thought about that? Well, this has an amazing uh, irony here that James is using this. Uh, The crown, if you look up the word crown, Greek for it is the Stephanon, right? And it means uh, literally like uh, the Winter Olympics. We now use gold medals, but back the Olympics were actually happening during this time. They would give a laurel wreath and they would wear that. That was the Stephanon or the, the crown that they had achieved. But there's a, another interesting connection here. Uh, some of you probably already made it, right? Uh, Stephanon is the same word as the name Stephen. And that means the crowned one. So uh, that, I would identify with that, obviously, right? As a, as a personal name. But this immediately, if you get the connection, this immediately takes us back to Stephen's martyrdom, which kicked off the very persecution of the church that James is addressing. Catch that? The crown, the Stephanon, who, who got the martyr's crown that James is talking about who remained steadfast in trial? It was, it was Stephen, the deacon, one of the first deacons. All right, let's go back to that story. He tells this whole story. They get mad at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And it says they plugged their ears, they screamed, they dragged them outside and they stoned them. We know from other scriptures, right, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So what's the significance here? Here's what the significance is. For those who remain steadfast in regards to faith in the kingdom. Yes, a lot of people are quitting. Yes, a lot of people are walking out of faith. You probably have people in your world and your relationships who one time claimed to be Christian and have punted that into the middle of next week and are long gone and gone for good. And the odds of them returning are negligible unless God does a miracle in their life. And you've probably been tempted to quit at different times. For those who remain steadfast in regards to faith in the kingdom, Jesus stands in honor at their entrance when they arrive. Think about the honor of your king, the Lord Jesus, standing in honor when you come into heaven because you have remained steadfast. It is an incredibly powerful image. And that's the encouragement from James. Don't quit. See this faith thing all the way through to the end. I want to give you a poem that I picked up way back in the, I won't tell you how long ago. But it has this theme of don't quit. Use this as the communion uh, thought as we head to communion. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, When the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when funds are low and debts are high, anybody been there? You want to smile, but you have to sigh. I would have put cry. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure had turned about 
when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup and learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success's failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. And I think that's an incredible picture when we come to communion. What is Jesus saying? I will never quit on you. So you, my believers, please then don't quit on me. Get the message? Jesus went all the way through the trial that he had to endure and did not quit. And he's asking the same of us. And when we come to communion, every time we do communion, it's a reminder of the price he paid for us so that we could be with him. And the early church had it down. They knew if he had died for them, it would be an honor and a privilege for them to die for him. And that's how they marked it. Everything else was gravy. We've gotten used to our rights and our stuff. And if some of that's get taken from us, we throw a fit right away. Jesus isn't looking for people who throw a fit. Jesus is looking for people who will submit. And he gave us this picture. This is my body. This will be broken for you. And it was. He said, eat this in memory of me. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. It's a symbol of the new covenant which is shed for you. It says, you get in because of this. He said, drink this in memory of me. Everything James is doing is trying to point them back towards Jesus because it had gotten really tough. That's what we're trying to point us back towards Jesus. We're going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a song together that captures Jesus as our foundation, Jesus as the rock, the actual cornerstone. And uh, if God has gotten your thinking going, if He has got something of your journey right now. This has captured something. This is a great uh, meditation time. This is a great worship time uh, for us to give honor to Him. Uh, And so I'm going to ask this morning that you would stand and rise and uh, let's worship together.